Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. It's been well over a decade since the Soprano series ended with that famous abrupt scene. But tomorrow, Sopranos fans will get a chance to learn another part of the New Jersey mob story with the film The Many Saints of Newark, a prequel that shows a very young Tony Soprano, played by Michael Gandolfini, son of the late James Gandolfini. Here's a trailer clip where... Tony Soprano's high school guidance counselor tells his mother that Tony is smart. I wonder if I can talk to you alone for a moment, Mrs. Soprano. On the basis of the Sanford Binet, he's high IQ. You can't prove it by me. He's got a D plus average. Well, he doesn't apply himself, but he is smart. The results tell us. He's a leader. The film was co-written by Sopranos creator David Chase and directed by my next guest, Alan Taylor, who also directed key episodes during the HBO series run from 1999 to 2007. And if you want to share what The Sopranos meant to you, you can call us 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Alan Taylor, welcome to Forum. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you on, and it was a pleasure to hear that clip. While the film does feature a young Tony Soprano, the film really is less about Tony. It's actually about the character Dickie Moltisanti. Why did you want to make the film about him? Who is Dickie Moltisanti? Well, that was, you know, um, David Chase's yeah. idea about how, how to sort of solve the, the, the question about how do we tell a story outside the Sopranos' known world. And Dickie Moltisanti is somebody who looms large in the series, but is only spoken of. Um, and some things that we've heard about him are sort of contradictory. So he's kind of mysterious, but he was a major figure in Tony's life. We know that. And what it offered us to, to focus on him was it, to create a standalone story um, that has you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end, because the, the character only exists in this movie. Um, so it sort of it was a, a way of resolving the dilemma of you know wanting to make a movie that works for lovers of the show, but also works for people coming to these characters for the first time, so they could sort of be introduced to this person who only exists in this um, in this movie. And he, it is his story, and he is even more than that because of the way David writes. There are several stories intertwined, and Dickie is the guy that pulls them together. That that sort of they all intersect on with him. Yes. So it sounds like making the story center on Dickie was key to making it a standalone film. But also, of course, Dickie is the father of Christopher Moltisanti, who is a major character in the series that ran from 99 to 2007. So it does have this wonderful way of allowing people who have 
seen and loved the series um, also connect with this prequel as well. Speaking of which, for diehard fans of the show, whose performances do you think will really stand out? Whose movie performances will really stand um, out? Boy, it's like, you know, um, choose between your children. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, clearly there's been a lot of attention on, on Michael Gandolfini's performance because it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting story and it's an emotional story. The fact that he stepped up to, to play his father's and I think he does a beautiful job. Um, and I'm really glad that it seems to be being received very well. Um, I think Alessandro is finally being given a chance to be a, a real leading man in, and hold a movie together. And the I, the person who played Dickie. Yeah. Yeah, Alessandro Nibola, who plays Dickie Maldasanti, who was at the center of the movie. And it's, um, his performance is so layered because it has to be, you know, uh, a Sopranos character tends to carry lots of um, different tones that are frequently uh, almost contradictory. And, you know, James Gandolfini did it in the show in his way. And I think Alessandro has found his way to do it in the movie where he's a romantic leading man. He's also a sociopath. He's also charismatic. He's also hilarious. He's also charming and smart and troubled and um, violent. All those things, you know, woven into one performance. So, and then I could go on and on. Uh, you have to yeah. stop me. Vera Farmiga playing Livia, I think is oh, yeah. really wonderful. And, um, and then, you know, some of the secondary characters like uh, John Barenthal playing Johnny Boy or um, um, John McGarrow playing Silvio uh, and, and sort of nailing the, the the character from the, the show so so well uh so anyway yeah. yes I could. well let me again listeners if you're planning on watching the prequel let us know 866-733-6786 if you wanted to ask director alan taylor any questions about it you can email us forum at kqed.org or get in touch on twitter or facebook at kqed forum or you can just share what the sopranos meant to you you mentioned directing Michael Gandolfini, who plays a young Tony Soprano. And as you have highlighted, the real-life son of James Gandolfini, who starred as Tony in the series and then died of a heart attack young at age 51. Michael looks a lot like James, too. What was it like to direct him? Did you ever see the pressure of doing that role and, and fulfilling audience expectations while also just having to spend so much time thinking about yeah. his dad, like, did that yeah, ever get yeah. to him? <laughs> um, I think that was the biggest hurdle up front for, for me. Uh, and then since having, you know, gotten to know him and spent time with him, I realized it was, you know, it was the hurdle for him, of course, too. I mean, he, I, I've heard that when he was first um, uh, spoken to about the part, his reaction was, hell no, um, like any you know, sensible person, I'm not going to do that. Um, and then he thought about it and it sort of got under his skin. And by the time I met him, you know, we, we made him jump through the hoops. He had to come in and audition and stuff. Um, and I, I thought he did great in the audition, but also I could start to see that he wanted to do it. And that was probably the biggest hump for me to get over because I was thinking, can we really ask this young guy to come in and take this on emotionally? You know, he lost his father and now we're asking him to immerse himself in, in his father's performance. Um, and it became clear to me that he wanted to. And so it started to feel right, uh, not right for the movie and right for him. Um, I remember we were having a dinner right before we started shooting and Michael was meeting the cast for the first time. And he stood up and said, um, I want to thank everybody here for giving me a chance to say hello to my dad again and goodbye again. And it was, yeah. yeah and once he said that, it was like, okay, right. We, this is the heart of the movie. As, as you said, he's not the main character, but he is the heart of the movie. And I think Michael was sort of the heart of making the movie. And so it, it was one of those 
big risky decisions. It could have gone wrong or it could have been perceived badly. Um, but it was one of the few things I never questioned once we, once we did it. And he was a delight to work with because he really, he really gave it everything. I'd like to play actually another little clip of the film that does have Michael Gandolfini in it. This is the scene at a dinner table when a young Tony Soprano is greeting the infant named uh. Christopher Moltisanti. Hi, Christopher. Hello. Oh, what's the matter? Don't cry. It's only me, Uncle Tony. Oh. What's wrong, Gucci? Go. Oh. oh. Okay. All right. All right. You know, every time you hear him, he cries like this. I didn't do anything. What happened? Okay. Look at that. I don't know what it is. It's like a scam or something. Some babies, when they come into the world, know all kinds of things from the other side. <laughs> Ooh, so much illusion there. We're talking, that's a scene from the prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, and we're talking with Alan Taylor, director of the film. And you, our listeners, are with us sharing your thoughts on The Sopranos. And this listener writes, I thought the most compelling characters in The Sopranos were the women. Carmela, Tony's wife, Dr. Malkby, his therapist, Tony's mother, Livia, and his daughter, Memo. I hope the movie focuses on the female characters. They made that show. <laughs> What has it been like for you, Alan Taylor, going back and doing this film, like some 14 years, I guess, after that very last season? What was like the most fun about directing it? Or did it did it shed light for you or affirm for you what was so magical to so many audience members about the series? Boy, there's so much to talk about. I think it's, um, that's uh, part of the Sopranos situation is that if you uh... <laughs> Um, there's like 9,000 things to pick up on there, not just the scene, I mean, the scene we just heard, uh, but also your readers, or your listeners' comment, um, absolutely agree about the, the importance of the women in the show. And I, I think some of the characters we have in, in our movie um, carry that that same torch. Uh, Vera's take on Livia, for one thing, and Michaela's take on Giuseppina. But anyway, um, I, for me, the, it was a a scary thing to come back and do because the bar is high because people love this show and respect it and the potential for screwing up is you know writ large obviously um uh but it also was really compelling and fulfilling to come home and for all kinds of reasons but partly just creatively to be able to get back into david's voice to get back into this world that um and then the the questions it, it keeps you know uh pushing without giving answers to the um the sense of humor that's in it, the uh, uh, being back in that rich world was was really um, luxurious for a director. But and also in terms of my sort of personal journey, I, I meandered around in my career and had done a couple of movies that were um, made lots of money, but were not um, satisfying uh, and were actually sort of painful experiences. So coming back to The Sopranos felt like it was a chance to go home. Um, admittedly to a violent, <laughs> dysfunctional home, but uh, to, to go home to a, a place that I, I knew and, and was sort of eager to, to have you know, a chance to, to work with again. Well, almost sort of related to that, this listener writes, what is it like directing such brutally violent scenes? Huh. Um, it's not fun, but it, um, there's a tone of violence in Sopranos, which feels like it's truthful. So um, it doesn't feel, I think I'd feel very differently if I was doing 
you know, I, if I was doing violence, it was supposed to be sort of, there, there was kind of um, titillating or something. Um, and it doesn't feel that way to me anyway in The Sopranos. The, the violence always feels like it's brutally uh, honest and sometimes absurd. Um, and so I, I feel like it's, uh, like, for example, we have a, a, a big shootout partway through the, the movie in sort of classic um, gangster style. And it's very much grounded in <clears throat> the point of view of the characters. It's, there are sort of no frills in the way it's covered and there's no music and um, there's no sort of manipulative, uh, you know, jazzing up the excitement. It's kind of played for the reality of, um, of a shootout. And um, uh, so to me, it's, it, you're not kind of choreographing um, violence for violence sake, you're, you're just being truthful about the story. And frequently in, in David's writing, the, the violence sort of slams up against the, um, the absurd and they're both sort of ways of, uh, of being reminded of, um, you know, the human condition. So to me, to me it's, it's not gratuitous and it's, it's, uh, it feels basically truthful. We're talking with Alan Taylor, director of the new film, The Many Saints of Newark. That's a prequel to the hit television series, The Sopranos, that ran on HBO from 99 to 2007. His other directing credits include Mad Men, Game of Thrones, and The Sopranos, for which he won a Primetime Emmy Award. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to caller Lori in Mountain View. Hi, Lori. Hi. Um, I have a, a comment and a question. I'm actually a resident of New Jersey, Italian American, um, in the town that it was filmed. And um, I have been mesmerized by the show. I've watched it. And it resonated with my family memories a lot. And so um, I often watched it um, just amazed at how you can get the connectedness, but also the drama. And um, I just think it's a fabulous show, um, deserving of all the awards it won. But my question is about how to see the movie, because it hasn't been mentioned of whether it'll be streaming or just in theaters, um, and where will it be so that we can all see it? Great, Great. question, Laurie. Yeah, thank you for raising that, because, of course, it's just about to be released on um, starting on Friday, it opens, and um, and you know, movie releases have been challenging in, in, in our COVID time. So I'm glad you brought that up so we can uh, make it clear. Um, this is a Warner Brothers movie. So like all Warner Brothers movies, it's being released simultaneously to uh, the big screen, which is where David Chase and I dearly hope he will try to see it. Um, it's being released on about three and a half thousand screens across America. Um, it's already coming out in the UK. So it's, it's a full, you know, Silver screen release, um, and it will simultaneously be on HBO Max. And I'm personally glad that people get a chance to see it if they don't um, feel up to going to the theater yet. But uh, certainly, the hope is that people will, will see it in the big screen that it was designed for, um, with the fallback of HBO Max, if uh, if uh, if necessary. Lori, thanks for the question. Hussam writes, "I don't understand why we idolize the mafia. We have more pressing issues to talk about than the mafia." Um, I remember hearing this a little bit where people were, who, who were initially critical of The Sopranos were saying that they don't like glorifying criminals or, or mobsters or the mafia. But hearing Laurie's call, I, I guess, reminds me of why even sometimes those early naysayers grew to really love the series, because it, it was so much more than just the fact that it was a mafia family or a, mobs, a New Jersey mob. 
there was family, for example, but just a real humanness to it. Do you, do you think that that's also part of what has caused it to endure, Alan Taylor? Yeah, I, uh, it's funny because I've, I've had to, um, I've been curious about why it endures. So not just, you know, the fact that we're going to trouble to make this movie, but also that a, a, another generation of people seems to be discovering it on TV and it seems to have be as compelling for them as it was the first time around. Um, and I totally understand a sort of stance from outside saying, what, gangsters again? Um, don't we have other stories to tell? Uh, certainly we have other stories to tell, but um, almost any story is going to wind up being about what is challenging and fascinating and um, uh, compelling and troubling about being human. And um, I think one reason the gangster genre has sustained is because it's a sort of heightened way to get into that stuff. And certainly the way David did it in The Sopranos and the way we are trying to do it in the movie, it's it's very much about, you know, it's about humanity. It's about, it's about America. It's, um, and it's using the gangster uh, genre um, to sort of heighten some things which are true of all of us. I mean, every Sopranos character is split down the middle and is torn and is, um, um, is fighting against themselves and the, and the situation they're in. And there is uh, pathos and pain and humor and absurdity in that. And it's the, the key with David is that he found uh, a way to explore that stuff through the, um, through the gangster genre and also through the very specific you know, location of you know, New Jersey and, and a certain time and place. Um, it's fun, but I, you know, I, I have heard similar things about, I worked on Game of Thrones for quite a while and there, was, there are people who say, fantasy, what, why do we need dragons in fantasy? Uh, it's a totally fair uh, objection, except that again, it's, it's a case where you, you take a genre and then it's what you do with it. And do you actually find ways to explore in a way that's compelling and interesting and uh, the, the human condition that we're all wrestling with? Yeah. This listener has a quick question. I read that Ray Liotta passed on The Sopranos, but lobbied hard to be in this film. Can you talk about that? <laughs> I hadn't heard the story about him passing on The Sopranos until uh, until we got to know each other doing this. Um, it, it made sense. You know, he was he was famous back then for his work in the gangster world, and he didn't necessarily want to um, double down on that. Um, and I also didn't know until recently that he was sort of chasing this, because um, that's uh, we would have been so flattered to think that was going on. From our perspective, uh, we had a part to cast and we heard that he um, was willing to meet. So we had lunch together and I found out later that he'd actually flown himself across the country to have that lunch. I think he even picked up the tab for the lunch. <laughs> so uh, uh, it was me and, and him and David and we came, you know, David and I already were of course aware of his work and, and the mythology he's embedded in and all that. Um, and we came away from lunch very excited for a, very specific reason, which was that we suddenly, we realized that this idea that we'd sort of had percolating, but hadn't decided on um, could be true if we went with um, Ray, that he could do it. And that was to cast him in a very interesting, strange way in the movie. And I don't want to say too much about it. Um, no. It's, it's a nice reveal, um, but uh, he, he's, he comes into the movie and he carries a kind of, you know, gangster lore and all his, his, his you know, brilliant work with Scorsese. Yes. Um, well, many people will get to see it in, if they see the many saints of Newark. Alan Taylor, thank you so much. Um, my pleasure. And uh, I'm sorry for being long-winded, but I, once you get me talking about Sopranos, I don't tend to shut up. So thank you. Thank you. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. 
Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.